When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Oh, we're uh, gesturing at each other yeah. across the table. Who is going to start? Who's going who's going to bring up the topic today? The old question that we always ask. Um, would you like to do the honors? Well, I'll tell you what. I will, uh, I'll bring it up this way. I think people have already probably read it in the, uh, in the title, but, um, we're going to talk about bluebird buses. Uh, we've got another topic that we talked about that was a bluebird as well. I don't know if you remember or not. The bluebird K7. Oh, wow. Do you yeah. remember that? That's I was just thinking about that. The, cut, uh, huh? the Donald Campbell with his uh, world speed record boat. Remember that? Yes. The uh, Coniston Water story. Yes. So I think people should check that out. But we're going to talk about bluebird school buses today or bluebird corporation or uh, the bluebird body company. I mean, mm-hmm. it's gone by a few different names, right? Over, over history. Right. Yeah. And we're going to walk through some of the history with this. Along the way, we're going to answer some questions. Questions about school buses that may have always mystified you, certainly mystified us for a while. Uh, things like, why aren't there seatbelts in so many school buses? Uh, things like, why are they yellow in the States? Why were they even vented? Why were they even invented? Yeah. Why, what was the purpose behind that? I mean, we've got we've got answers to stuff like this along the way. And uh, I think, man, you know, as we usually do, we go back to the very beginning with uh, with the founder, founding of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy's name is Albert Luce, spelled L-U-C-E. And uh, barring any missing pronunciation marks or, or uh, accent marks, rather, um, I think L-U-C-E is pronounced Luce. So we'll, we'll stick with that. And if it is Luce or Lucy, we uh, apologize. Yeah, that's right. So this goes, uh, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Albert uh, Sr. is not around anymore, so we're not apologizing to him, but his family members are still around. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about them as well. But this the story of Bluebird Buses goes way back, way, way, way back, 1927. Which is nuts if you think about it yeah and really i mean albert's involvement with automobiles and all things automotive goes back even farther than that because um this guy he was um an american industrialist um you know of course he later founded the the bluebird corporation but right. um the idea is that he originally owned a ford dealership in a, in a town called fort valley georgia which is um and also in perry georgia he owned two dealerships so he yeah, was a he was uh, doing pretty well yeah he was doing all right for the time i mean in the late 1920s and i guess the uh you know the, the family was really heavy involved with auto, all things automotive and and cars and you know just trying to they had I guess some construction experience, you know, the guys in the shop that could do things with the vehicles, some yeah. modifying, things like that. Probably doing some custom coaching. Exactly. And that, that came into effect, I guess, in 1927 or probably, you know, a little earlier than that. Uh, when he built his first bus um, in 1927, it was a steel body construction, which was kind of unheard of at the time, right? Yeah. And it was mounted on a Model T chassis. Yeah. So. A, a 1927 Ford Model T chassis. And it was at the request of a uh, of one of his customers. And the guy's name was Frank Slade. And Frank Slade was, uh, he lived in Marshallville, Georgia. Um, and Frank wanted to use it, obviously, as a school bus, of course. Uh, but really, there was nothing like this being produced at the time. There was something similar on the market, um, but they were wood-bodied vehicles. 
Right. And yeah. not the safest of vehicles, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the earlier things would be the Navistar Model F, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there were, there were other bus makers along the way. And I've got a short list of bus makers that would have been in competition with them that we'll get to in a moment. But, um, the, the guy, you know, Frank Slade, he just was curious about, you know, anything that he could do to improve the design that was already out there. So there's this wood um, bus structure that, you know, the, the kids have been going to school, to and from school in, and um, he just said, anything that could be better than what's already on the market, I want for my kids, on you know, in um, Marshallville, Georgia, which is a nice thing, right? Yes. And uh, he decides, you know, of course, he's going to use it for, you know, taking them back and forth from school. And uh, the idea was that he was going to use what was a kind of a new technology at the time, believe it or not, um, steel body construction for this thing. And right. they use things like angle iron and, uh, um, of course, roof bows and things like that. And it was all metal except for, uh, this is kind of strange, it had a canvas top. There was yeah, a, I was going to ask you about well, that. Well, it had a canvas stretch top, and I don't know if that was just a, a time-saving thing or if it was a, a time-restriction thing or if it was like a safety exit or I don't know what they the idea out was. Of steel. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I've looked at this this bus because you can look at the very first bus that was that was built. And what's the, what's the name of that? Oh, uh, the name of the first bus is the Bluebird Number One. Yeah, Bluebird Number One. If you search that, you'll find exactly the vehicle we're talking about, and you'll know it by you know the front end of a Model T sticking out of the front end of what looks like a you know very boxy old style bus. Yeah, and a yellow school bus. Um, now the the I guess the uh, the original idea behind this, you know, being that it was uh, it was Frank's idea, and then kind of brought into fruition or brought into real life by Albert Luce. Uh, he showed it around town and, you know, before he gave it, he delivered the vehicle and people were pretty favorable of the design. They thought this is a good idea. I like the steel body construction. You know, I kind of like the direction you're going with this. Um, let's maybe think about putting this into production. Yeah. And they started to say, let's, uh, let's see how we can, let's see how we can tweak this for mass production. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I don't know exactly how we want to go into the timeline here. Can I just mention one thing? Yeah. I know we're going to, we're going to jump into the timeline. I, okay. Like you said, that's fine. But before we get too far down the road and this won't make any sense, I want to say why school buses were even invented. Because, you know, kids were walking to schools. There was a. Right. That's a good point. It was a, it was a time of, uh, you know, the one room schoolhouse and every little town had one. And, you know, it was on the other side of town or it was right next so to you if like you were lucky. It was a few miles. It was always uphill both ways. Remember that kind of thing. It was thing, always right? snowing. It was always snowing. But, you know, it was it was either close or very far away, whoever you want to look at it, right? Yeah. So the kids were walking to school or maybe they were hitching a ride on their dad's wagon, you know, the horse, you know, horse-drawn wagon. The, these, uh, or maybe they their family had a car and they were driving them to and from school. Mm-hmm. But then they started this idea that they were going to consolidate schools between different communities. So let's say that each little town, each little village didn't have its own school anymore, its own little one-room schoolhouse. They said they were going to go to a larger school that was, you know, in the next town over. And then kids couldn't just simply walk back and forth in school every day. It was just right. too far. Walking 18 miles is uh, most of the day, maybe, for yeah. some of these kids. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's just a distance which you can't reach. It, you know, you can't you can't go that far, especially if you're just a young kid walking to and from school. Yeah. It's dangerous, whatever. So the consolidation of Yeah, they schools. consolidated. And, and the need then was that they had to get, you know, large groups of kids to school instead of each family having to find their own way to get their kid to school. And some right. didn't have that. You know, they didn't even have a wagon or they didn't have a car or whatever. The, the mobility wasn't the same. So, you know, they had these early school buses, which were really – um, I guess a, a, a bigger wagon, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, because uh, the school bus idea sort of predates the uh, evolution of the automobile, right? Yeah, it does. And then, and then, you know, eventually it transferred to, you know, we're going to do it's going to be automated, and we're going to we're going to run it on a car chassis, yeah. and we're going to have this real kind of real basic looking thing with a lot of bench seats. You know, it, the idea was that it's almost like a train car on top of a car. Uh, you know, they, they can haul it back and forth. And, uh, but, but it was still made out of wood. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest design. And that's where Albert Luce stepped in and said, you know, we're going to do this with steel body construction because that's the way automobiles are going. Right. And he knew his stuff about automobiles. You have to wonder as an entrepreneur, um, it, it's very easy, I think, to see or imagine his mindset where he says, okay, I'm making money selling vehicles. 
But is the real money in making vehicles? Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he did kind of uh, put all his eggs in that basket and said, you know, I think there really would be a lot more money in making vehicles. And he built a plant, and we're going to step into the timeline now. He, built, right. he built a plant in 1935, uh, a factory that would also – it was just completely dedicated to school bus production. And this is in Fort Valley, Georgia, which was, of course, one of the towns where his Ford dealership was located. Yeah. And uh, he called it this company the Bluebird Body Company. Oh. Oh, and this is funny. What's that? Uh, you were telling me off air. Why did he call it the Bluebird? We called it the yeah. The, you know, we, we've kind of struggled with the uh, the pronunciation of the name, right? Right. Luce, Luce, Luce. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know exactly what to call him, and he said, you know, instead of putting my family name on this, we're going to call it Bluebird because he showed, I guess, a uh, a mock up of this vehicle, a, uh, a test vehicle to some students uh, when it was about, I think it was like 1932 somewhere around there, and I think it was a blue and yellow model, and they called it the Bluebird, and of course the kids loved it, they thought it was great. Yeah. They called it the Bluebird, and that name kind of stuck, and he said, well, that's a lot easier than having my name mis- mispronounced on this product all the time, let's just go with Bluebird, and uh, that'll be real simple, no one's going to have trouble with that. Yes, and it appears that he was completely correct. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was an interesting sidebar. Oh, no, it is. It's and it's an interesting note. And you know that that original car, that original bus, is still around. We'll tell you later where that you can go see the original Bluebird Number One. Yep, you um, don't even have to be on the way to school. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we're up to uh, you know 1935. He built this first plant that's dedicated to school bus production. Right. Because oh, we should mention also. I'm sorry to keep interrupting here, but we should mention that at, by 19. 1940s era, uh, the school bus idea has taken off. Exactly. Yeah, every town had to have one. You know, it was uh, it was the latest thing. You know, they all wanted the steel body con- construction vehicle mm-hmm. that that Albert was producing. These Bluebird buses. The safety record was just far beyond that of the wooden vehicles. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, by 1937, uh, they started building the the. Uh, what we'll call an all steel construction. Now, I remember I mentioned with the, uh, the canvas top and, you know, there were still some wood elements left over in that original Model T vehicle. Right. And I don't know, you know, how deep that goes. I don't know if it was, you know, um, floorboards or what it was, but it wasn't a completely all steel construction until 1937 when it did flip over to all steel. And that becomes like kind of the benchmark for all other automobile, uh, all other school bus manufacturers really. Right. They all saw all steel as the way to go. So they did that. And there were competition. There were, there were other builders at the time. Um, I, I don't know. You want to mention them yeah, now? Or yeah. you want, okay. So sure. let, let me uh, find on. my notes here, but there were, uh, as far as I can count here, uh, it looks like there were about five other, uh, school bus manufacturers in competition with Albert in, you know, at the time he was uh, building his factory in 1935, 1937, that era. Um, so we'll start with the oldest. Um, get this, Ben. There was a company called the Wayne Corporation. Uh-huh. They were building school buses in 1837. Um, now, I don't know if they were actually building uh, – you know what? I'm going to take that back. I don't know if they were actually building buses or if the corporation was in effect. It doesn't have a lot of detail here I on this see list. What you're now, they could have been building other vehicles, wagons of some kind. But 1837 indicates to me that they were probably building some type of transit vehicle that was taking kids to and from somewhere. I don't know if it resembled a modern bus or what. Yeah. Uh, but this is – and remember, these are all other – uh, these are all other wood designs, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are not the all steel construction. So in direct competition with, uh, with Albert. Um, I guess we'll go up to number two, which was the Gillig Corporation from 1890. Um, then it goes up to the Crown or Coach Corporation from 1904. And a lot of these companies, Ben, they stayed around until like the mid-1990s. So yeah. they had long, long histories. Um, then there was the Carpenter Industries, which makes sense, I guess, if it's a wood construction. Yeah. Uh, 1919. And then the Ward Body Works, which is around from about 1933. And I guess there's another one that... Um, no, you know what? I'm going to save that one. But um, so you can see that he wasn't the only one doing this, this he wasn't building the first bus ever or anything like that right it was just he was taking a good idea and making it better which is uh, a lot of people do that to me it kind of reminds me of apple the apple corporation you mm-hmm. know uh often uh, for for a company that's hailed as innovative in a lot of ways a lot of the uh fame that they found was doing things uh, in a way that customers thought was just better. Mm-hmm. So maybe not inventing something so much as refining or reinventing it. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's he's taking, you know, like um, the idea that, you know, these heavy-duty trucks are perfect for hauling heavy weights around. And, of course, you know, people are heavy weights. And if you get a lot of them on the bus, even if it's a lot of small kids, yep. um, it, the the weight's going to add up. And it's it, there's, a, there's a definite market for these heavy-duty vehicles and buses 
by all means, are heavy-duty vehicles. Uh, you can see them on the road today. You can tell they're heavy-duty vehicles. Oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. Huge. They're huge. They're behemoths on the road. So um, with good reason, too. There's a lot of safety issues that are built into those things, and that's why they're so big. Um, oh, and we'll get to that. I have some great statistics and some cool information about modern buses. Okay, good. walk through the timeline. I promise you we're going to get up to no, that because right. let's, let's uh, zip through the timeline then, and we'll get to the, to the modern day. How about that? Yeah, let's take right. our time. Uh, oh, well, okay. We'll do that, too. Leisurely stroll through school bus history <laughs> with right. Scott and Ben. So I'll just I'll read some things, and if you have a comment, just yeah. uh, just bring it up. How about this? So, All right. Oh, you know, let's man, I'm going to stop again. Fort Valley, Georgia, that's, uh, that's south of Atlanta. It's actually south and west of Macon, Georgia, which is in about about in the middle of Georgia. So yeah. just to give people an idea where this is all happening. And, uh, and it's still there, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're up to 1945. 1945, Ben, the original factory, the manufacturing plant and everything in Fort Valley, burned to the ground, completely destroyed by fire. So that's a bad stroke of luck for um, the Luce family. Um, 1937, you know, it was built. So 19, I'm sorry, 1935 it was built. So yeah. just 10 years into, into operation, the whole thing burns to the ground. The whole operation, they've got to start over. Right. And uh, it may turn out that that was actually a good thing because it allowed them to build a slightly more modern facility. You know, they've already got their uh, their, their plans in place for a new design because when uh, when Albert, I guess, after World War II, he had gone over to um, France and he saw this idea for um, what he had called a uh, like a vertical or a flat front end bus. And, uh, you know, that's the school bus that we think of a lot of times now. There's a lot of modern buses with a completely, almost like a wall in front, very flat front yeah. end, right? Yep. Well, prior to that point, he had been using what was called a uh, um, a cowl-type chassis from, a, you know, typical heavy-duty truck of the day. Mm-hmm. So he was borrowing from a design that was already out there, and now he's kind of branching out into making his own chassis design, which is a big move for the company. Yeah. And with the new new factory in 1945, this is perfect timing because you know allows him to set up the uh, the manufacturing exactly the way he wants. Now, um, by 1946, um, uh, the, the the present headquarters, which was you know uh, in Fort Valley, Georgia, it was. Fully open for operations in 1946. You know they've got the factory up and online, so it's only a year after that completely burned down, which is amazing. Yeah, that is. Um, we have to step over into 1950. We jump ahead about four years. Okay. And uh, Albert Luce Jr. Uh, takes over the head of the company as CEO uh, over as the head of Bluebird at that point. So he he's in control in 1950, and uh, the older Albert, I, I guess he steps aside, but he's still a player in the game. I mean, I think he's still. You know, making decisions from the sidelines. I see. We hear that a lot, right? With, that uh, happens often, mm-hmm. not just in car companies, but also in many family-owned companies. Mm-hmm. And there were it wasn't just Albert Jr. Uh, that stepped in as well. There was there were a couple of other uh, loose brothers, uh, George and Joseph. I think were the uh, the other brothers that joined the company, and they hang around for a long time. We'll we'll find out when they kind of uh, dissolve their uh, relationship, I yeah. guess, with with the company. But um, man, we. we we're in the mid-1950s, so 1952, uh, Bluebird finally developed what they call the first dedicated forward engine transit chassis. Um, and that's kind of the idea that we're talking about here with, you know, this this flat front end. And uh, there's all these different chassis applications that uh, Bluebird really, well, one they developed, um, others they were kind of borrowing ideas from and, you know, using what they had seen out there that worked in other heavy-duty trucks and applications and, and modifying bodies to fit. And, uh, you know, kind of a uh, best practices, I guess. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. They pioneered a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a little sidebar to weave into your timeline. Sure. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Uh, I just thought that this might be the best way to address it. Scott, one of the questions we had at the top is why are school? Why is a school bus, at least in the United States, yellow and a very particular color of yellow too? Right? Yeah. Very particular shade. Well, the answer to that doesn't lie in the Loose family. The answer to that is found in a guy named Frank W. Sear. Another tricky name, hmm. C Y R. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Sear. That's the best shot I could take. Uh, he was a professor at Teachers College in Columbia University. He is known today as the father of the yellow school bus. Because in the 1930s, Scott, uh, he traveled the country looking at pupil transportation, right? Um, when this competition between school bus manufacturers was in a dead heat. So there's not really, at this point where he's traveling around, there's not really a standard school bus. Uh, there's just like a different manufacturers have different types, different engines, uh, probably different safety standards as well. And, uh, he said that the standards in most of the cases have been set up in what he called hit and miss methods. Um, so in 1939, Frank Sear brings together a bunch of educators, some manufacturers, the loose representatives are probably, are definitely in there and paint experts. Hmm. And as a conference to have this nation's first school bus safety standards, 40, uh, 42 pages long, Scott, that was their agreement. This covers everything. How, how, what's the size of the interior compartment? What do we need to know about axles? Uh, what do we need to know about wheels, emergency brakes, et cetera? And then included in this was the color. You know what? That's, that's very interesting. That's all new to me. I had no idea because I was looking at, um, pictures of Bluebird One, Bluebird Number One. Yeah. And it is indeed painted yellow and school bus yellow. Yeah. And that must have been after the fact because I, I remember that we mentioned that the Bluebird Number One demonstrator that was brought to the kids was, uh, I think it was a blue model. Mm-hmm. And that's why they called it Bluebird to begin with. But eventually, of course, you, you probably along the lines of when, uh, when you said, was it 1939? Nine, yeah. 1939. I bet that's when, uh, uh, you know, they decided, well, we're going to have to start painting all these things yellow, even though we're called Bluebird, which may have been a little bit It's odd weird. I remember growing up and, and riding. Did you ride school buses when you were a kid? I did, yes. I, I think a lot of kids in the U.S. did. I remember looking at the Bluebird logo for years and wondering why you would call it Bluebird if it's painted yellow. Yeah. It seemed, I mean, just seems, of course, I mean, I'm going to say what everybody's thinking. Why isn't that Yellowbird? Why isn't it called Yellowbird? Yeah. And as a kid, I wondered, I, I, I remember thinking, well, it's... Is it like a Sesame Street thing? Like, is that too close <laughs> to Big Bird? Oh, I don't know. Something like that. But, so uh, the- yeah, so here's why they wanted yellow. Okay. Uh, yellow could stand out. Other drivers can see a yellow school bus from a distance, uh, and then it would be identified as a school bus by all the other drivers. So they would think, hey, there's a group of kids going someplace. Maybe I shouldn't tailgate them. Understood. That's a that's a, a great visual indicator because imagine if it was uh, school buses were all different colors and you saw a great big red school bus headed your way, you might quickly mistaken that for a fire engine. 
Yes. Um, you know, something like that. I mean, things like that could happen. You know, maybe one stopping on the side of the road and you, you think you can, you're okay to pass, but you know the rules of school buses. You have to stop if it's on the same side of the road and, you know, it's exactly. without, no passing. Yeah, you know all the rules about passing when, when they're loading and unloading. Um, if you thought it was a fire truck, you may just pass that vehicle and not really even think about it, not realizing that it was a school bus. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a quick, a quick visual sign to people to say this is a school bus and, you know, watch out for this vehicle. And right? people seem to, uh, get it, especially because so many people, again, at least in this country, we are qualifying everything because this is kind of U.S. specific mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, at least in this country, um, most people, if you didn't ride a school bus, you knew someone who did, you were familiar with it. At this conference, Scott, he has, uh, Sear has like 50 shades of different types of yellow. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they appointed a committee of educators to make the final choice. And there is a specific formula to this shade of yellow. Um, according to Bob Riley, who's the executive director of the National Association of State Directors of Pupil Transportation Services. That's quite a title. That's a mouthful. Uh, he said that you can't buy a bus that doesn't meet that formula. Oh, in the interesting. United States. Okay. There's cool. A, there's this whole, uh, there's a whole regime of rules built up. Adhering to this 1939 rule or this 1939 uh, set of rules that were that was put forth by this guy. Sears. Yes. And Mr. so Sears. um we return to the 50s. Oh yeah, so we're back in the 50s and uh you know they're they're developing this engine transit chassis that they're developing for school buses, the forward engine design, uh durable, precise, optimized. Those are words you might hear that are associated with it. Um the all-American Forward engine type D school bus is what you may hear it called as, you know, that's like its formal title, I suppose. Right. And that's really the, the, that's the big one. That's the big daddy bus. You know, that's, uh, the 72 passengers, flat front end, you know, that type of thing. Um, they have a short wheelbase for maneuverability. They've got this great design. It's a really good, it's a really good idea. And there's a lot of pros to the design that came out in 1952. And, uh, some of those have carried over all the way through, you know, through present day. Right. Um, Okay, so 1962, we go ahead 10 more years, and the founder of the company, Albert Luce, dies. He passes away in 1962, uh, but of course his uh, sons are, you know, at the helm of the company, and it's uh, still cranking along. So in 1963, which is just one year after their father passed away, and I know that, you know, Albert Sr. was involved in this some way, right. um, they start developing something called the Wander Lodge. And the Wander Lodge, which was brought out as a prototype in 1963, is a... A Bluebird vehicle, a Bluebird bus, that is converted into a recreational vehicle. And what a fantastic idea for the company to kind of branch out from the school bus production, which they've been doing since 19, well, 1927, if you want to get technical about it, but 1935, I guess. Um, It's a Class A recreation vehicle, which is the big one, you know, that's a huge vehicle. Um, They've made them from, get this, Ben, from 1963 all the way through 2009. Uh, they're anyway from anywhere from 31 to 43 feet long, depending on what model you got. And uh, the, these Wonder Large or Wonder Lodge vehicles, um, some of these were owned by like celebrities. I mean, famous people like Jimmy Carter, former U.S. president. Uh, Johnny Cash had one. Uh, King Hussein of Jordan ordered a Wander Lodge. Huh. They were a big deal at the time because you know here's a, a coach maker, a, a factory that's building a vehicle that is really. I mean, it's. It's perfect for this. I mean, it's a great match because yeah. all they have to do is divert the line at one stage and say, all right, this one is going to be an RV. This one is going to be a school bus. And then they, they make the modifications to make each one happen, you know, whatever it has to, has to be. And to make a class A recreation vehicle, that's pretty cool. I mean, there's, yeah. I've got some more notes I know about the Wander Lodge somewhere around here. I'll find them, but they're um, pretty much apartments on wheels. They, they really are. Yeah. They're really, really cool. And you can still find these things, um, you know, I guess. All over the place. I mean, you can still find one because they were made until 2009. And you may think like, well, I've seen, you know, these buses that have been converted into RVs and they don't look all that great. You know, yeah. some some are clearly and the early ones, I'll tell you, they look like a school bus that was made into an RV. <laughs> The, the more modern Wander Lodge vehicles, the ones from the 2000s or even, you know, prior to that, um, some of them are just fantastic. I mean, they're, they're everything you would expect out of those giant RVs that you pass on the road. Uh, they're, they're really, really amazing. See, I love this sort of stuff. Two of my friends who work for a local Atlanta nonprofit purchased a beat-up old school bus that they then painted like green or brown or something so it wouldn't be school bus yellow. Mm-hmm. They named it Rosie. They put in some chairs. They, they had pretty much gotten it when it was already emptied out. 
and they made it like this open air apartment thing, and then they took it on tour for their band. That is really cool. And you know what? That's going to play right into something that near the end of this podcast I want to talk about. I know you've got you today, Ben. You have a like a one last thing that you want to you want to come up with. That yeah, that's is, cool. I got yeah, one. it's really interesting. <laughs> and uh, we talked about this, but there's some uses for old school buses, like decommissioned buses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a list of maybe five or six different things. But you've got like the crowning jewel of, of uses for uh, decommissioned school buses, I think. So well, now don't don't kill okay. me with hype. Well, okay, I don't want to overhype it, but that's it's pretty amazing. It's really cool, and I think there, our listeners are going to really appreciate it. So, you know, 1964, we're back to where uh, that's the first, um, and I'm going to go through the rest of these really quick, okay? And then we've got other things to talk about. But 1964, um, that's the first Wander Lodge that's really produced for public consumption. People can buy it, and I mentioned that you know these celebrities and big names bought them because it was a really nice vehicle at the time. Yeah, and uh, don't hurry through this list because i got to tell you, in <laughs> terms of just weirdly fascinating stuff that was unexpected that we would run into, yeah. right, uh, this podcast is one of the top ones. I've I've found so much fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's such um, it's just, just such a, a topic that you would think that there would just be one angle on this. Like, right. Okay, it's a vehicle that takes two and kids, you know, for kids to and from school. It's yellow. It's pretty big. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. Diesel engine. How about that? Done. But oh, uh, it's, no. it's so much more. There's all these little angles, and you know the family's pretty interesting. Uh, the the start of it's really cool. You know, there's the whole chassis thing, which I don't even know if we're going to get to. But there's like four different types of chassis. Yeah. Um, let's get back on the timeline, and okay. I'll, I'll go okay. through kind of quick. Um, okay, 1975. I get what the the first microbird is introduced, and the microbird is the shorter bus, um, which is still as wide. The, the deal behind this one is that it's still as wide as a full size school bus. And it's the one that has like the wheelchair left on the side. It's for right. uh, mobility concerns, right? So it's it's pretty big move because no one else was building anything like the the microbird at the time. They call it the microbird. Um, that's another side company that they have that uh, builds um, vehicles. I think it's in Canada. I think Quebec, Canada, is where this thing is is built. Okay. Um, and then in 1977, which seems counterintuitive after the microbird, they built something called the mini bird, which we think would come before the microbird. But uh, the mini bird is the uh, the shorter school bus, I guess. And um, it's not quite as short as the microbird, but it's it's right around that ballpark. You know, so if they got a smaller group of kids to take to school. Yep. That's the bus that they ride. You know, they don't, they save the one that has 75 seats or whatever, 72 seats. Sure. Uh, for the bigger halls, right? Um, 1988, we're going to jump way ahead here. Okay. Um, this is the uh, first Bluebird rear engine design, uh, and chassis is built. So uh, this yes. is, again, the flat front end, um, that Ooh. type of giant vehicle. And we've all seen buses with, with, um, engines in the back end. Right. This is something new for Bluebird at the time. And with every one of these developments, Ben, it's them, Doing the development work on the chassis, the engine, they're, you know, a lot of times things are borrowed and, and, you know, ideas are, are kind of, uh, played around with until they find something that's exactly right for their product. And this is one of the cases. This rear engine design, uh, was a big deal for them at the time. Uh, then, then they start coming out with different models, which I don't know if we need to cover them, but the TC2000, which is again, forward engine, uh, that's introduced in 88, 92, um, the TC2000 rear engine is introduced, and then you know they, then they start taking away these. They're retiring those models, right? And it's sometime here, it's sometime in the 1990s when the Loose family, I uh, remember the the remaining three brothers, they kind of give over the reins of the company to outside investors. And so from 1990, I'm gonna I don't know the year it was, but it was sometime in the 1990s. Um, they gave over all of the uh, the interest in the school bus construction, the RV construction, which is still going on at the time, to these outside investors, and they're no longer involved with the company. So, you know, it was a family company until uh, you know the mid 1990s, but um, not the case anymore. Now it's uh, now it's some outside company that owns Bluebird. All right, let's step up to the 2000s here, and uh, you know they're redesigning and they're retiring vehicles all the time. Well, in 2007 they had their 80th anniversary. Then um, we moved up to 2012 where they had their 85th anniversary, and you know all along the way they're they're redesigning. They're they're coming up with things like propane powered vehicles. There there's so many innovations along the way. Ben, the, the timeline's full. I don't know if we really want to cover all the detail that goes yeah, into it. Yeah, because they have continually made innovations. That's a really good point, Scott. Um, and I love that you mentioned the alternative fuel things they've been trying, uh, engine redesigns. Safety, of course, is always a primary concern. Yeah, and you, you want to talk about some safety things? Yes, I want to talk about some safety things. First, though, I want to talk about a total lack of safety. 
What about that? Sure, let's do that. All right, so I have an Audible pick for you, my friend. Oh, you do? So you've been on the Audible.com website, right? Uh, yes, sir, I have, because traffic is a fact of life. It happens whether you're on a road trip or you're just driving down to your local grocery store for some food shopping. You can get stuck in traffic, and nothing alleviates traffic like a good story to listen to. And, um, you know, it's sad to say that sometimes, Scott, uh, you and I aren't making podcasts fast enough. Uh, so I decided that I would recommend something you can listen to if you've already listened to all of our podcasts in traffic. So you found a good one. I found a great one. What you do you find? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Noel, beat me out if I can't say this on the air. Uh, go like hell. Ford, Ferrari, and their battle for speed and glory at Le Mans. You were really worried about that title? Well, I don't know, man. We're a family show. No, I guess so. Okay, but uh, sounds sounds reasonable. What's it? What's it about? Okay, so check this out. In the early by the early 1960s, Ford Motor Company, built to bring automobile transportation to the masses, was falling behind. Baby boomers were taking to the roads and droves, looking for speed, not safety, style, not comfort, and Ford didn't offer what the young drivers wanted. Meanwhile, Enzo Ferrari lorded over the European racing scene, crafting beautiful, fast sports cars that epitomize style. Uh, written by A.J. Bame, narrated by a guy named Jones Allen, this is 8 hours and 49 minutes. It's an unabridged story about the culminating battle between Ford and Ferrari at Le Mans. Oh, Ben, this is one of my favorite topics. This is uh, this is the development of the Ford GT40. You're going to yes. hear you're going to hear the Ford GT40 story in what 8 hours and some odd yep, minutes. Yep. That is going to be such a cool book. And I thought I thought of you when I checked this out cuz I thought, man, Scott would love this one. I really would. That's going to be a good one. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. With that, here we are. We're going into modern school buses. Scott, I've got some stats to lay on you. Are you ready? Let's have it. All right. There's about 4,800,000 yellow school buses providing transportation across the United States. That's quite a few. That is quite a few. Uh, the people on this on these buses, there's about 26 million elementary and secondary school children riding the bus twice a day. Wow. 
That's more than 52 million trips daily. Uh, that equals more than 10 billion individual student rides, 20 billion boardings and deboardings annually. These numbers are blowing me away, Ben. That's, uh, that's, that's when you count field trips I, also. I understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Oh, I love field trips, by the way. That was always the, the best day in school. That is the best day. All right. Day. So, so man, th- I mean, you're, what you're saying is that these are, these are extremely important to making everything work every single day. Right. And uh, 53% of all K to 12 kids, kindergarten to seniors in the United States ride these yellow schools. You know what? I know we keep saying that in the United States this and in the United States yeah. that, but I say a lot of this stuff translates over to worldwide. I think that uh, you know they're they're very important worldwide. Um, they have a lot of the same safety standards. I know, um, you know the way that they're built, the way that they're you know the, the even the colors that they are, the mm-hmm. manufacturers. They ship them all over the world. It's not like they're just limited to the United States. So what we're talking about um, is not just limited to you and I or where we are here in yeah, the United that's States, true. but. Uh, but I do think that, you know, it's a good point out that, you know, all of our information is coming from the United States that, you know, if there is some variance in there, it's because, you know, the information that we're, we're receiving here is, is for the United States. But it is probably, or at least hopefully, equitable because a lot of this information is really good. Before we went to our audiobook break, we were talking about safety. Check this out. I thought you'd like this stat, Scott. According to the National Safety Council, school bus accident rate is 0.01. Per hundred million miles traveled. That is really incredible. That's uh, that's extremely low. I mean, that's a that's a great number. Uh, you know, occasionally you'll hear you know that somebody has bumped into a school bus on the way to school or something. You know, there's a, an accident involving a school bus. You know, you always hear that on yep. the uh, on the radio. Not not always, but occasionally. Uh, but it turns out that you know, with as many buses there are, as there are, as many trips as they make, the numbers number of times that they're involved in an accident is very very low. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the feds actually consider school bus transportation to be about nine times safer than other transit. Oh, that's amazing. I had, I'd never heard that, but uh, that's a yeah. good stat. And you know what? It makes parents feel much better when they hear something like that. So it does, huh? You know, safety features we talked about, yeah. it's a lot of stuff that I think a lot of people will, will kind of look over and not really... Um, not really understand why it's a safety feature and maybe not even understand how it works. But, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, the safety record, I guess, you know, that they don't yeah. often get in collisions. They're, the drivers are well-trained, et cetera. You know, they know what they're doing. Oh, they man. go through courses and they, they do learn how to drive. It's not something like you can just step in and say, I want to be a bus driver and, and do it the next day. It's not for me, but I admire those people so much. <laughs> They've got to have so much patience. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 40 kids, man. Patience of a saint is what you have to have. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So a lot of things that, you know, you won't think about, but they're, but are really related to school bus safety are things like, um, you know, the purpose built chassis, you know, that, that people right. don't really consider that, but they're built for durability and optimization and, of course, safety and collision situations, things like that. Um, there's also the, the panoramic windshield in the front. Yes. Which, exceptional visibility. Yeah. Really good sight lines. Um, especially with the, the flat front vehicles, you know, the cowl vehicles, those have always been a concern for drivers because there's that zone out in front where they can't really see what's happening down below the yeah. front of the school bus. And uh, that's a big liability area for drivers and they've always had a concern about that and the flat front buses that you know albert albert loose came up with or you know at least he modeled his buses after uh, was, a, was a big move forward i mean it allowed the bus driver to see directly below in front and it's a big safety jump also there's um and you wouldn't think about this but there's um like the, the front axle um is is really unique in that it's it turns it allows it allows a 50 degree maximum cut from the steering wheel. So this is really great for maneuverability. Yes. It allows the bus driver to maneuver in extremely tight situations because they're headed into neighborhoods and subdivisions that aren't really built for big vehicles. I mean, you've seen right. a, like a moving van come in and they have the toughest time getting to the back of the neighborhood and then back out again. Right, especially in older neighborhoods with uh narrow roads. Exactly. I mean, even even bigger vehicles like uh, you know, like garbage trucks and things, they have trouble yeah. with with smaller roads. But a school bus is is really, I mean, you wouldn't think of it, but a school bus is actually sort of a nimble vehicle in that it has this really short wheelbase, uh, which a lot of people have overlooked as well. But take a look the next time you see a bus, how long the bus is versus how short the wheelbase is. There's overhang on the front and the back. Yep. And with this really tight steering, these buses are able to turn in and out of traffic without really breaching the second lane. You know, they don't have to go into oncoming traffic to get into their turn lane. Right. Which is a big deal. 
able to, you know, navigate around courtyards and, and neighborhoods and get around things without knocking over every mailbox. That's another big idea. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Oh, uh, even if they do get hit in a collision, uh, they've got the fuel tank in between frame rails. Yeah, that's part of that custom chassis, right? Yep. I mean, and these tanks are big. Some of these tanks can be up to 100 gallons of fuel. So that's a big deal. If that was to be struck and ruptured or, or somehow breached, that would be a big deal. You know, you've got 100 gallons of fuel spilled out. So putting it between the fuel rail, uh, between the chassis rails is a, is a big deal, as well as also positioning it so that, you know, with the overhang in the back, it's going to take, you know, the bus is pretty much going to be, have to be broken in half in order for them to reach the tank from the back end of the vehicle. Um, so it's a lot of things like that. There's also the, you know, the Cummins engines, which are really reliable diesel engines, and they're, you know, they've got a, a variety of horsepower ranges that you can choose from. Some are fuel efficient, some are, you know, a little more power for the bigger buses. Uh, all of them, of course, meet federal, you know, current federal emission standards and all that right. stuff, right? So they're, they're, they're emissions compliant. Uh, they've got things like tilt steering, telescoping steering for the driver, you know, for uh, driver comfort. And you wouldn't think that's much, but it makes a big difference if the driver's comfortable driving the vehicle versus, you know, having to kind of sit with this big wheel in front of them like a table that they're steering, uh, you know, that, that, that that's flat a good wheel. description. And, um, oh man, let's see, the, there's, they use things like huck spin fasteners, which I didn't really know about until I read about them, but they're like this bolt and collar, um, latching system or fastening system that they use in the assembly process, and they're extremely heavy duty. They're they're for um, they're like durable fasteners for HD um, heavy duty vehicles. Oh, okay. Any application that requires that, like aftermarket repair things like that. So you know, look for these these huck spin fasteners, which are like this collar and bolt thing. Yeah. Also, there's um, there's emergency exits, just like on a plane. Yep. yep. Which oh, all right when you were. Riding buses as a kid, did you always dream of taking the cool exit? Uh, you know, I did, and we had drills. You know, we, we, were, able to, we were able to do that, and that was kind of cool. You know, to be able to hop out and you know help the other kids out, and you know, there was a, like a process, a procedure that you would do, and you didn't do the drills too often, but no. I always did kind of look at that, you know, emergency exit, and wish that at my stop I could just jump out at the. Out of I, the yeah, emergency. I felt like we were in a drop zone. I used to, um, I used to daily fight the temptation. To just wait until we were going maybe up a hill or something, pop open the door, have the fire alarm or whatever it is go off, and then duck and roll out. Very cool. I would be a legend in middle school. You definitely would be. That would I be, would uh, be arrested in you, middle school. You would also be in a lot of trouble from your <laughs> maybe parents. Maybe hit yeah. by a car. So, you know, we, we mentioned some of these other safety things, right? And, right. And i just quickly list this some more, and then we'll, then we'll move on to... Okay. Uh, I think I want to move on then to some uses for old school buses. How about that? Yes. Uh, one, one question we would be remiss if we did not answer... Uh, why don't school buses have safety belts? Ah. It sounds like the setup to a joke. It does. And you know what? I've got a couple of guesses, and I don't know if you know the true answer or not, yeah, but my, my guesses All right. are that some reason, for some reason these find themselves um, in, in a position where they're not really required to have them, sort of like a shuttle bus would back and forth from the airport. If you're taking it from the, the shuttle lot to the airport terminal, you know, you're not required to be... Buckled in in those. They have seat belts, but you're not required to use them. School buses, some some school buses, I think, have them, but you're not required to use them. Others don't even have them at all. Is it something to do with maybe the padding on the back of the seats or the height of the vehicle? I, I just don't know. That's you know, you hit the nail on the head on a couple of things because there there is a multi part answer to it. Uh, all right. So first, very astute, Scott. Not a lot of people know that not all school buses go without seat belts. Most do, but in some states, they have to have seatbelts. And some of it goes back to the weight of the vehicle. Um, for instance, if you have, uh, if you have a school bus under 10,000 pounds, um, then you have to have some sort of three point restraint system available on all newly manufactured buses, but only seven states require those to be used. Oh, that's very few. I would think it'd be more than that. Yeah. And on buses over 10,000 pounds, um, only three states require you to have a seatbelt. Interesting. So they don't all have to have um, seatbelts, uh, but they do have, at least in the states, again, they do have um, some state-by-state differences. The It goes back to the, the safety of the vehicle itself. Already, they're tremendously safe vehicles. And then there's the question of if all these kids are strapped in and something happens and you have to evacuate, how, how do you manage that herd of cats. Man, what a quandary, right? I mean, you've got kids that you want to keep safe. 
that you also think that like if there is some kind of bad situation going on, you've got kids that maybe don't know how to get out quickly or that are wrapped up in the seatbelts. I mean, it's a terrible thing to think about, but you know, there's there's like pros and cons of each one, and and which would you rather have? I mean, they make them safe, you know, and that the the height of the vehicle is part of the safety of them. You know, that they're, they're right. extremely high up, so any side collision would not very likely it's not very likely to intrude into the passenger area of the bus you know maybe the footwell area but that's not uh not up near the like the torso part mm-hmm. um if they roll over of course they're they're you know they're rated for rollover they've got you know safety standards in place bars and things like that to right. hold up but you don't want you don't want people flying around the interior that if it rolls over right and that this idea might change because according to Cecil Adams writing for Straight Dope uh the question of seatbelts on buses is still a bit controversial uh there are federal investigations uh over whether or not they should be required in all school buses, regardless of weight. Also, you know, it's not like a like an airplane before takeoff when a stewardess walks through and makes sure that uh, right. excuse me, flight attendant, flight attendant, flight attendant walks through the uh, through the aisle and makes sure that everybody has their seatbelt on. It's not that way. The bus driver doesn't have time to do something like that. So let's say you do put, you know. Uh, you know, you have seatbelts in every seat and, you know, everybody's supposed to be wearing them. How are you going to know that, you know, five or six kids out of the uh, 70 that you have on board are not wearing their seatbelts? And those are the ones that are going to be injured in the wreck. Right. And how are you to know that they have their stuff applied correctly? Because as we know, a misapplied seatbelt can be danger, can be more dangerous in some, in some instances. Uh, there's also a cost benefit analysis. If we outfitted the more than 400,000 school buses, uh, with, uh, seatbelts at, Eighteen hundred dollars a bus. Those are the numbers Cecil Adams is using. It will cost eight hundred million. Uh, the annual death toll in school buses is about eleven. Oh boy, about man. eleven are injured in fatalities. This cost benefit analysis. It's cold. Is, uh, it's ice cold. It is. It's uh, it's an extremely cold business to be in, but uh, it's necessary, I guess. Right, man. That's tough. I I don't even like to think about it at all. And the and the reality is that buses are involved in accidents. Very few times. I mean, very few times. Very, very few and times. They're, they're big. They're the uh, the whales of the sea that is the uh, road system, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, and the whales of the sea with uh, with with flashing red lights and amber lights and yeah. strobe lights. And, yeah. You know, they've got that safety bar zone in the front of the bus that I want to mention. You know, that yeah. you know it kind of helps a little bit. I guess you got to trust that you know kids are still. Uh, adhering to the rules around that as well, you know the, that big bar that sweeps out and With keeps the, the stop kids, sign exactly. That you oh, don't, and they might mount cameras on those pretty soon to catch people from passing. That's true. That's a that's a great idea as well. And you know, I, I mean, why not mount a camera on front to show the front of the bus? You know, so that you know, you're sure there's not a kid under there because it seems like every year, Ben, horrible as it sounds, yep. some kid drops a paper, drops a book, or whatever, and ends up under the bus. And it happens every year somewhere in the United States, somewhere it happens. It's, um, a, it's a sad story. It, it really is. And that's what, you know, things, the, all these little safety devices that they've added on throughout the years, these all help quite a bit. Now, there's like that, you know, the pop-out bar that I mentioned. There's also the yep. pop-out stop sign that I think everybody's seen on either on a school bus or on a, an ice cream truck. Right. Same idea, right? Um, emergency exits that we talked about, the vehicle height we talked about, um, also escape windows, you know, the, the windows that all, you know, oh, all those open man. windows open, but then there are certain windows I think that you can knock pop out. out. Yeah, yep. you can pop the full thing out as an escape, and that's, that's good as well. Of course, there's the large overhang that we mentioned, the fuel tank, there's just, yep. there's so many safety elements built into these things going all the way back to 1939 to that uh, that conference that you talked about you know where they initially set up these rules these standards yes um that you know you can see how all this stuff has evolved and and changed throughout the, the time and they've they've taken some of the things that didn't work and gotten rid of those and added new and they're constantly trying new safety devices right and this is a continual conversation because as we know if you're a manufacturer known for safety uh, you work continually to keep that reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bluebird Corporation is going strong in 2013. Uh, their 550,000th school bus rolled off the line. Mm. So uh, they are more than halfway to a million buses. That is, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I remember I mentioned the, uh, the five other uh, school bus manufacturers that would have been in competition with them in 1935. Yes, sir. Well, today... Uh, there's at least, I'm looking at a list of here of one, five, six, seven, at least, uh, nine or ten of these things, um, that are still in competition with Bluebird. Um, things like IC bus, which was, I, I think that's international. You've probably seen international on them. Uh, Thomas built. There's Collins Industries. There's Starcraft, TransTech, VanCon, 
Lion Bus. There's a lot of different companies that are in competition with Bluebird even today, and there were a lot more along the way that kind of, you know, developed and then faded away. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of the initial five that I mentioned are gone. I think all of the initial five I mentioned are gone. And there have been, I mean, looking through the list here, there's probably 20 others mm-hmm. that were in the school bus manufacturing business but but went away. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of old school buses hanging around out there. There's so many of them that you mentioned, you know, your friends that had converted one into kind of a living space. Yeah. And then took a tour with a, with a um, uh, what was it, a band, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. sir. Very cool. Uh, what, what do you have? Do you, have you found some you know, uses? I've got a couple, and I, I know you're. We're leading up to your big I'm one here. Chomping at the bit. But um, you know, one was, of course, you can use an old bus as an RV. And I found my note about the Wonder Lodge. Yeah, go. Um, and I'll, the I'll only wait. other side note that I didn't cover already was that you know some of these do look like school buses that are converted. Others look like RVs. So you know, you either think like, well, that's there's a converted school bus that's now an RV, huh. or you think that's a cool RV. Right. That's like kind of your opinion. Or you think, wow, that RV is the size of a bus. Well, in 1964, they. Exactly. They, you know, they, they definitely did look like a school bus. And in 1964, when they were first launched, the cost was $12,000 for a brand new one, right? 64? 1964. If you want to extrapolate that to 2013 with the, you know, the, the calculator that I do occasionally. Yeah. That's, uh, that's still very expensive. So big RVs have always been a, uh, a, a wealthy man's toy. Um, these things today, $12,000 in 1964 is equal to 90000 Five hundred and thirty-three dollars and three cents. Oh, there's no way. So there's no way I could own one. So it's as if you know they launched with this product that today that would be ninety thousand five hundred dollars. So that's a little out of reach for a lot of people. And I know that some get into way into the six-figure amounts. You know, half a yeah. million dollars. So maybe yeah. that's still a bargain. I don't know in the world of RVs, <laughs> but you could you could uh, convert one over to like a church bus. Yes. You know, some other type of transportation or a uh, community center that needs a bus. They can just use them as is. They yep. often have to paint them. They can't re- really be left school bus yellow. And also, uh, there have been people who take junker school buses and bury them. Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah, that, yeah I have seen that. Uh, some, uh, the two ways I've heard it used are people who maybe are, let's say, somewhere between creative and paranoid, and they decide that they're going to bury a school bus or bury two and just live in this underground hobbit hole kind of thing, or... Or they're growing drugs. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've seen them. I've seen them exactly the way you're talking about, buried up to the roof line. Yep. And then there's kind of a uh, a cement enclosure for the emergency exit area, and that's the door to get into this thing. And it becomes an underground bunker, right? Yeah. And I've never heard of anybody connecting two of them together. I've only seen photos of one, but it's it's a neat idea, really. I mean, it's it's like you're. It's a pre-made room, I guess, that you're just submerging underground. And of course, you know, it's all filled in next to it. You dig a hole and you drive this thing in and it never comes out. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I don't know what they do with the windows. I guess they have to seal those off somewhere. I'm worried about the engine too. I don't know. Ah, it's probably out of there at that point, I would yeah. think. Anyway, so there's, uh, there's the underground bunker thing. That's a, that's a good idea. Um, also people use them as a home. In fact, if you go to Mental Floss, you know, the site Mental Floss. Yeah. There's a, an article there that's called 15 Creative Converted School Buses. Oh, cool. And there's all kinds of things you can look at there. So th- these, the idea of them as a home is something that's not new. You know, RV is kind of like what you're talking about, but right. it becomes their primary residence. It's not just for, you know, the weekend trips, the week long trip that you take, you know, to the beach or whatever. Why not, why not just cut the top off at an angle and make it the world's longest pickup truck? Uh, you know, it's, it's been done. There's oh, man. a, there's a, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there's a, there's a pickup version out there somewhere. I've seen stuff like this happen. Yeah. Also food trucks. People Great like idea. to use them for food trucks because there's a lot of space. You could even, with a school bus, you could even have a food truck with indoor seating, which I've seen. That's classy. Which actually. is pretty neat. Yeah. yeah it's kind of cool. Um, party bus. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Those are uh, popular in Atlanta. I think so, yeah. I mean, for rental or personal use, I guess you can have a designated driver. Just one, uh, excuse me, dancer pole away, right? (laughs) Take the seats out, put in a pole, it's a party bus. (laughs) I guess so, Ben. However you want to party, I suppose. But uh, from uh, parties or sporting events or whatever, you know, whatever the case, I'll leave that other thing to you. Um, also storage space. I guess you could use them if you have a lot of property. You could just park them and use them as, you know, like a place to put things if you yes. want to, which is kind of an expensive way to do it, I guess, instead of just building a, a small building. But mm-hmm. hey, if somebody's got a bus laying around for 500 bucks, that beats buying a shed, right? That is true. All right. So also my last one really, really uh, here before we, uh, unleash with your idea. Figure eight school buses, of course. You could buy 
a, a bus, an old decommissioned school bus, and race it in a figure eight school bus race, which is fantastic fun. Yeah, I think the best question, really, let's rephrase that question, Scott. I think the question is, why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Because maybe you have other plans for it, like some people that oh, you know, right? Right. Okay, there we go. Now, uh, I also think this is cool, but I hope the hype hasn't been destroyed. Uh, listeners, if you know about the show, you guys know that... Um, I had lived for a time in Central America. Um, in my travels, in my sketchy past, uh, I used to live in Guatemala, and a lot of decommissioned Bluebird buses specifically make it down to Guatemala, Central America, Mexico, South America, and in Guatemala they become a thing that's called chicken buses. Yeah. Now, just you have to look it up. Just Google chicken bus, type in Guatemala if you need the extra hand. These are fantastically decorated. They're like the decorator trucks of that time. Absolutely. Right? And when you said chicken bus, this is not what I had in mind at all. I thought I thought a, I thought instinctively of a chicken coop. Right. This, this somebody was using it as a chicken coop, which is another use for a decommissioned school bus. But people will transport livestock on these buses. The drivers are notoriously crazy. Uh the um and and they're all they're all characters, man. They're all very unique individuals. Um, but th- where I was located uh, is kind of in a mountainous area. And so there are a lot of roads that cut along the sides of mountains. And these guys are driving um, driving fast. And I don't want to say they're bad drivers, but they are assertive drivers rather than maybe defensive drivers. Well, they have to be good drivers to navigate those roads because the, the roads that you're talking about are the ones that we talked about on our Most Dangerous Roads episode. Yep. The, the exact same roads you've traveled on them. You've been on a bus in them. That's a, that's a terrible, like a harrowing situation to be in, I think, when it's raining or, you know, it's slick in any way. Of course, they're slick all the time because of the gravel and stuff that's right. involved there. Right, yeah, and landslides can be a problem. Even another vehicle coming the other way could throw you for a loop, really, because these things are tight. I mean, the roads are extremely tight. The, uh, yeah. the turns, I mean, you, the inside edge is against the wall of the, the, mm-hmm. the mountain. The right side of the vehicle or the uh, the outside edge, it's just a sheer drop-off. Yeah, you kind of just have to... Uh Kind of just have to close your eyes and, you know, be at peace just in case. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I'm, and, I'm not trying to exaggerate it. No, so. no, it's not exaggerated because you told me that one time, you mentioned livestock as well. Yeah. You told me, and they're called chicken buses. You told me one time you ended up holding a chicken. Yeah, it's true. Uh, one of, one of the rides that I took was about three hours from where I was staying. And, you know, these buses are kind of a, a public transit, which is, a little bit more efficient, actually, than transit in the U.S. And uh, they will pull up, and there are predetermined stops and routes, so people will pay a very small fee to uh, hop the bus. And they'll often be coming from rural communities, maybe carrying stuff they want to trade or sell. And so I sat next to uh, this really nice family. Also, Scott, these buses get very crowded. So it's very crowded, um, in a very crowded situation. And uh, this lady was busy with uh, her baby and her husband was holding some stuff. They were the nicest people, and uh, they asked me, well, they kind of asked me, but they pretty much forced me to, like, hold this chicken for them. <laughs> and uh, it was at the time, um, at the time I was very proud of my really poor Spanish, and so I was trying to attempt to speak in Spanish. You know, I don't want you to, like, oh, thanks, I don't want to hold this bird, but I didn't really have a choice. They were very nice. And then they started talking about me in Quiche, which is uh, like a Maya dialect, and I didn't know that at all. And But you're sure they're talking about you? Uh, yeah, man, you it can had, tell. You know what? You're holding their chicken. It had to have been favorable, <laughs> right? I would hope so. Yeah, it, I would think so. It was so. probably, look at, this, look at this moron. But who knows? The thing is that if you get a chance to go down there, uh, check out the bus depots, the uh Photograph opportunities are amazing, um, but you're also just a Google search away. That is one of the little known, or maybe it's well known, but little known in the United States destination for decommissioned uh, school buses. I had never heard of chicken buses until you brought them up, and now that I, now that I've seen them, I kind of fascinated with the artwork and everything that goes along with them, and, and even the the people that operate them. Yes, I would like to know more about them. Of course, you know, on these sites, there's not a whole lot about that, but right. you do see some videos of these things in action. These guys drive fast; they drive a little bit 
Nah, fast, I'll say fast and loose. They're a little bit crazy. Yeah. And sometimes you see pictures of these things with people on top, you know, that are kind of, they're holding things luggage, down, on, yeah. you know, they're holding luggage down, any type of extra cargo that they can fit up there, just barely making it underneath wires and overpasses and mm, things like that. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's got to be quite an adventure to drive or to ride on a chicken bus. And I mean, that's really cool that you've got firsthand experience. Uh, I think all the podcasters should get together. We should go on a chicken bus world tour, Scott. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Uh, we'll need to do that. I think uh, I think I owe uh, Jonathan and Lauren an apology here on tech stuff. We got so excited about school buses that we might be running into their time. Man. Uh, I see. Is that who's knocking on the door? Yeah. Uh, well, it's either them or the or the school bus police. No. Yeah, it could be them. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for checking out our episode on the school bus. Uh, Scott, you and I found some fascinating stuff. We'd love to hear your stories about school buses, listeners. You can find us on Facebook. Drop us a line on Twitter. Check out our website, carstuffshow.com, and send us an email. Our address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.